Hi, and welcome to the Trail to Austin, a place where you get to meet the people of Austin and learn how they became the people of Austin. Uh, I'm here at the New World Deli, 4101 North Guadalupe, with my host, as co-host as usual, Joel McCall. Hello. Hello, Hello Joel. Hello, Bob. So, I wanted to do a little something different this week that I normally don't do, and I wanted to tell a brief story because there there is a point to this story, and I think you'll get it when you hear it. Um, when I was a child, part of my appreciation of music came from my family, even though none of us have any musical talent whatsoever. We are great appreciators of music. Um, you would be more likely to find a stereo on than a television on in my house growing up, my grandparents' house. Um, it was always the same. So Saturdays, as a little kid, uh, that's that's the only time we got to watch cartoons because there was no cartoon network, just the three networks. So we'd watch cartoons. Well, the moment the cartoons went off, my mom put records on. And um, a lot of the records that she put on, you know, were she was very into country music, and a lot of the the records she put on were um, Willie, Waylon, The Outlaws, you know, stuff like that, um, early Eagles, and Tanya Tucker, and she was a big fan of Kenny Rogers. So once um, Joel told me who our guest was and I started looking at some of the songwriting credits, I, I suddenly realized that I probably heard a song from this man every weekend when I was growing up as a small child, and it, it really is a good memory for me. So... With that, I'd like to introduce singer-songwriter Alex Harvey. Good evening. How, How are you doing? It's excellent to be here. I just love it. I love being in this place. This is a place that reminds me of many places that I've uh, been introduced to in my life and sung in uh, the bottom line in New York. And uh, It has that feel. It has the same feel uh, on the bitter end. Um Paul Colby at the Bitter End was my like my daddy. He had gave me an apartment above the the Bitter End for a good two years, actually. And I would go in and out of the village when I wanted to. But thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, he's actually playing tonight at the New World Deli. Um, I know, you know, podcasts being the way they are, this is going to go out after. You know, he's actually he was playing. great, folks. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we have it on great authority. He was great tonight. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of those songs, and then we'll get yeah. into the other things Absolutely. you're doing. Um, I know the the one he first told me about was Delta Dawn, and I was just like, he wrote that? And that, that's incredible, you know, because that's such a, a wonderful song that's been covered by so many people. I think I read 51 different people recorded. 78. 78 now. Okay, the website I saw was wrong. It's behind yeah. the times. Well. I would know as the writer more than the, the website would, I think. Yeah, more no, I, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I believe that 100%. Yeah. Um, so. Where did it come from? Yes. I can tell you that. My mama, um, I loved her very much. And uh, when I was 15 years old, I had uh, won a talent contest, and we were supposed to go be on television. My mother wanted to go and uh, she was from Mississippi Delta. That's where the Delta comes from. <clears throat> and I said, "No, Mom, I'm afraid you'll you'll embarrass me," um, because she she would drink a little bit every now and then, this and that, and to do things that I didn't want. 
to be known for. So I, did, I said, Mom, you just, you're going to have to stay home. So she stayed home, and I took my band, and we played on that show. Oh, we did such a good job. We thought we were going to be big stars the next week. And it was in Jackson, Tennessee, of course, a local television show, so it wasn't anything that we'd ever be big from. But um, came home. Uh, my mother was supposed to pick me up at the high school, and I sat there at the high school and uh, stood there on the sidewalk for a good two hours. Um, and then uh, my Sunday school teacher and the lady that played organ for me in church showed up to pick me up, and Miss Lady Kate Estes was the one that played the piano. She rolled the window down, and she said, Alex, get in. And I said, where's Mama? And she said, Alex, get in. I said, no. I said, where's Mama? She said, Alex, your Mama's gone. I said, what do you mean gone? She said, your Mama took her own life. And I, I couldn't... I couldn't even bear to grip that for a minute, and I got in the car and I drove home, whatever. So, anyway, I carried that with me for a long time. I thought I had caused my mother to die because I wouldn't let her go and be with me on television. Then I had a, a, a meeting, a party with some friends of mine in Los Angeles. I was trying to be a songwriter. I hadn't written anything yet. And... I tried. I mean, I had a lot of songs that I'd written, but I hadn't really written anything. <clears throat> and I was at that party, and these it was about 3.30 in the morning. These guys were all partying and doing dope and all kinds of stuff, which I didn't do. And so I was sitting there with my gut string in my hands, <clears throat> and I felt like my mother's presence. And I felt as if she said to me, Alex... You're crazy. You're stupid. What do you mean I'm crazy, stupid? Because you blame yourself for my death. And you didn't. I did it myself. I went out of this world on my own. I did it because I wanted to leave the world. It was my choice, and I did it. And as long as you carry that pain in your heart, you will never be able to be creative or do anything. In this world, you want to be a songwriter, then you better drop the pain because you can't do it with pain in your heart. It was in the next seven minutes that I wrote Delta Dom about her. Wow, that's wow. an incredible story. Incredible. Wow. And I don't, I don't really carry any pain of that at all. I don't carry it around anymore. I did at that time. I was, it was awful. How old were you? I was uh, 15. Well, no, but in L.A. When you oh, in L.A. it was about 20 years later. 20 years later. 15, 25, 30. About, yeah, early 30s. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time to carry a load like that. Well, it's, it was. And, you know, it held me back from uh, from everything. I mean, I, I, I did get, because I wanted to be a songwriter, I got a master's degree in, in education and music. Um, and... Uh, I got a master's degree in that because I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to really know. Then I went to Billy Ed Wheeler, who was a great songwriter who had written Delta, who had written, I'm sorry, who had written uh, Reverend Mr. Black, David Pete, uh, It's Midnight and I Miss You. He wrote so many hits, Coward of the County. Uh, And 
So I asked him to teach me, and I asked him to hear some of my songs, and he said that he would. And he listened to some of those songs I'm telling you about that I had written before my mother died. And he said, uh, five songs I played him. And he said to me, he said, Alex, I'm going to give you some advice. Okay. He said, you need to give up songwriting. That's the worst song I've ever heard. I don't think you're ever going to be a songwriter. Well, I looked him dead in the eye and I said, look, I said, you know, this may be a point where you could be wrong. It's possible I could be the one in a thousand that's different than the ones you know about. And I know that you've told me the truth and I accept it. I accept the truth. And I love you and appreciate you for giving me the truth. But would you help me? Let me play you some more songs. He said, I just told you you're never going to. I said, I understand. I understand. But just just please humor me, humor me just once. And he said, well, okay. He said, I'll hear some more. I said, okay. So I moved in next door, and I put, wrote 200 songs before he said I had one I could rewrite. Ooh. But when I rewrote that one, I got a cut. Vicki Carr cut it after her big hit. It must be him or whatever it was. Um, and it got, uh, I guess it got up in the top ten of the easy listening chart. It wasn't any great big song, but at least it it, it encouraged me enough that I that I got a Zoom going. So, so I'm curious. You've, you write and you write and you write and you write. You keep touching that little spot in you, that's, that creative right. strength. How do you how do you sell that to Vicky Carr? How how were you trying to place your songs? How did the mechanics of becoming a published songwriter work for you? You know, I've never quite known or understood the answer to that particular question, and I'll tell you why. I uh, I went to Kenny Rogers and I played him Reuben James. I was. Didn't know anybody at the time. He was on the Johnny Cash show. They weren't going to let me on the Johnny Cash show. I sneaked on when the guy went to the bathroom, sat down by Kenny Rogers' dressing room door, and I sat there until he came in five times that day. He never said one word to me. The next day I went back, and he came in. The second time he said, okay, who are you and what do you want? I said, Mr. Rogers, I just want to play you a song if you don't mind. He said, well, come on in here and play it. And I played him Reuben James, and when I played it, he was silent for two or three minutes. And then all of a sudden, he said, I'm going to cut that next week. I said, what? 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 He said, I'm going to cut that next week. What are you doing the next four months of your life? And I said, I'm doing whatever you want me to, Mr. Rogers. So he took me to L.A. and cut my first album and got me on Capitol Records. So on my first album, I, I put Delta Dawn on the album. And uh, I was playing it. Oh, in the coffee house circuit. That's what they, back in that day, they put you on the coffee house circuit in Boston and New York and so forth. So I was on the coffee house circuit, so I had me some hip hugger bell bottoms. I had me a gauze shirt with no collar and some Indian moccasins. Please, please tell me you were not wearing patchouli oil. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> yes, I was. And I had beaded moccasins. I beaded myself. And on, on my hat, I had a red cowboy hat. So anyway... Uh, Willie and Coach Darrell Royal came to see me play. And uh, I said, Coach, if you could give me some advice when they came backstage afterwards. I said, if you give me some advice, I'd appreciate it. He said, I believe I'd, 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 I'd get me a pair of Wranglers, uh, Alex. Um, I gave me a, 
uh, a good cowboy shirt, not one of those sparkly spangly ones. And now, I believe I'd get me a good pair of boots. They know a, you know a Texan by his boots. If he's got good boots on, he's probably a pretty good Texan. Uh, and he said, I believe I'd lose that girl's cowboy hat. <laughs> now, wait a minute. I thought you told me the nickname he gave you was because of a song you wrote, not because of the way you were dressed. Well, that, was, that was sometime afterwards. That, uh, that I, but he, he took me under his arm like I was his son at that point, and uh, I played all of the Darrell Willie golf tournaments. I played every single one, 28 of them. I was the only person that played them all. But um, he took me on his arm, gave me a key to my room at his house. So when I came into Austin, I, I just went to his house and opened my room, went there, and if he was there, he'd come and say, okay, Alex, let's go get some Mexican food. <laughs> Take you down to El Patio. Yeah. Well, that's, so we, where, that's where I first met you, was over at, at, mm-hmm. at Coach's house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, boy, he used to get those picking parties were just amazing. 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 Yep. Uh, and, you know, in truth, uh, I guess what I know him the most for, I don't believe Coach Royal ever gave any thought to himself. He always thought of the other man. He, he always tried to do for me what I needed. Uh, and I had to work hard to do something for him. Mm-hmm. Really difficult. Yeah. I, so, you were you were talking about the coach and uh, yeah. Well, I I tell you what, playing golf with coach was more like playing polo. <laughs> <laughs> than playing golf. But uh, well, when you played when you play with the coach, if you knocked it out of bounds, you just put down another ball. You didn't go exactly. pick it up. You had, to, you had to stay with him. I played with him and uh, Ben Hogan, Ben uh, Crenshaw. Crenshaw one time, uh, and uh, knocked it off in a in the, in, in uh, out of bounds. And uh, Ben went and got my ball, and Coach was yelling at him, "Ben, get back!" <laughs> Alex just put one. Down. He just not. And I think we played five rounds that day. Yeah. I mean, you you had to keep you had to go fast with him. So, it sounds like you you kind of hung out and stalked Kenny Rogers until he agreed to record one of your songs. Right. And then that he started rec- a relationship he, so then, with him. Then what, here's what the deal was. So, he took me to L.A. and uh, um, re- we recorded my first album for Capitol. He got me on mm-hmm. Capitol then. And I was singing uh, uh, Delta Dawn. Uh, and... The girl that sang with me on my album went to New York to the bottom line. And she sang at the bottom line. Bette Midler was a fan of hers, so she heard her sing it at the bottom line. Bette Midler went on The Tonight Show three times and sang it on The Tonight Show. When she sang it on The Tonight Show, Tommy Catalano, who was Barbara Streisand's producer and the producer for Tanya Tucker, heard it uh, on The Tonight Show like that and decided to cut it uh, uh Billy Sherrill had Tanya Tucker, who was just then 12 years old, actually, almost 13. And so Bette Midler decided that she was good. She was making her first album. She had her first major record deal. So she put it on her first album. Um, and then Helen Reddy, uh, Barbara Streisand didn't want to do the song. She thought it was, didn't, she didn't like it. Um, so they had already cut the, the track. So they gave, they sold the track to uh, Helen Reddy. So I never had anything. You, you had the question you had asked me like, yes, see, 15 yards ago. <laughs> the question you asked me is how you get a song cut. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have any earthly idea because I got 78 cuts on Delta Dawn and I never pitched it once. That's Well, the song kind of pitches itself. I mean, you know, you, you have people lining up to record it, so that's obviously not a problem. Yeah. Well, and and, uh, and, and like I, when I went to Kenny Rogers and I played Ruby James, because he just had Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Tell, and I thought, well, man, this would be a great next song for him. So I just thought that. And then once I thought it, I, I just uh, sat there for a minute, and I felt like the Lord said, go do it. Just go do it. So I went and found him. In Nashville on the on the Johnny Cash show, and, and the rest was history on that particular point. Yeah, but you guys recorded, I mean, he recorded, what, 12 of your songs or 18. something? 18. 18. Again, my website's out of date. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Your website's okay. Uh, I think the reason was because when I went to do an album with him in Los Angeles, um, he said four months, and I was there for a year and a half uh, in his house. I lived in his house for a year and a half. Uh, and he would go on the road, and sometimes I'd go with him, sometimes I'd stay with his family. Uh, and he'd come back, and we'd sit by the fireplace. Every time he came back, every night, we sat by the fireplace and played each other's songs. Um, and he remembered my songs, when he, like when he got ready to do, uh, uh, what was the album, the biggest album, A Gambler. When he got ready to do the Gambler album, uh, he just had a slot for three more songs. Um, and he cut um, the Making Music for Money, the Who Doing Them is Fanny Deberry and King of Oak Street. Uh, the first three on the B-side are my songs. But every time uh, he cut one of my songs, I, I had no earthly idea he was doing it. He just did it because he loved me, he said. <laughs> well, there you go. So, okay, so these songs, you've been writing songs all this time, and you, you finally got through to Were you – these songs – these 18 songs, were these new songs that you were writing? Is this no, they back were. Into mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was a, a kind of a, a scattering of different uh, eras of yeah. my writing. Uh, there were three or four brand new ones uh, and maybe other songs that he maybe sung uh, himself without being, being recorded uh, over and over when he was in little places like when he was with me and at, by the fireplace and we were swapping songs because he loved to do that he loved to swap songs with anybody he, he he would never act like a star over the top of everybody else he was just uh, probably the greatest gentleman i've ever known in my life and he, i never never knew him to do anything but smile did you do any co-writes with him you know we tried a couple of times well have you done co-writes with other people I, I, I'll tell you something. It's really difficult to answer that question. I'll tell you why. Because there had been somebody else in the room when I was writing the song, and they had come to write with me, but the problem is they can't keep up because I'm in an automatic feed. i got melody and words coming to me at the same time, uh, and it's impossible for me to share that with somebody and, and share the lyric with them. It's like, for instance... Um, Larry Collins and I wrote a song called Tulsa Turnaround for Three Dog Night. Um, and that night, after we had just written three, uh, Tulsa Turnaround, we were, I was, oh, exhilarated. Um, and uh, so uh, I said, I, I was in the, we had a party. A bunch of guys, a bunch of songwriters at his house. We had a party. And they had all gotten too high. 
and they, a lot of them were asleep, and I don't do that. I, I never did do any kind of dope very much. I tried a lot, uh, maybe one time, and that was it. I just I never found out, found anything I liked about it. But anyway, I was still up, and I had to get guitar in my hand, and they were all kind of, and I wrote Delta Dawn in that seven minutes, and uh, Larry woke up and said, here, let me show you how to play that. Now, he took my guitar and played exactly what I played. Now, I was so exhilarated about the other song, the next day we were at the publishing company, I said, oh, give him half of that one, too. Actually, yeah, I got two or three million dollars. Ain't no big deal. Yeah, so I mean, given your your collection of songs there, you know, it seems like that would make a pretty good career, you know, as, <laughs> yeah. as it were. Well, you know, there's a uh, in, in in Nashville, especially in Nashville, and in, in Los Angeles too, but not so much as Nashville. There's so many people. We were just so happy to just sit in the room while the song was being written because the standard of performance in Nashville is that you share the song with whoever's there. Wow. And uh, and it's really stupid. Yeah. It's really stupid. I was going to say, remind me to hang around you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, I mean, the, the other thing is, I just, you ever sit there late at night you know, just in front of the fireplace, just in, you know, kind of in the dark and think, you know, give a self-satisfied sniff and say, I wrote some pretty iconic songs. Oh, you know, I don't know if I ever think about anything that has been done. Hmm. I don't look at the past at all. Uh, anything in my life that ever happened yesterday is really gone. And, and a lot of it I don't even remember. And I, I don't remember it because I don't want to. Yeah, those songs are such a part of the American fabric mm-hmm. of music. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you said, what, 80, 81 times that song's been cut. Right. Right. And uh, and I do appreciate that. And I love it. I, I love it when people are interested and I love it when people sing it. In fact, everybody, in fact, last night I was playing in a, in a, in a place uh, uh, down yonder, wherever down yonder is, and... Uh, uh, a little girl who was probably five, six years old came up and looked at me on the stage and sang the song, sang Delta Dawn. So I said, nice. you get her up here. So she came up on the stage and she sang Delta Dawn. I had to find her key. I found her key. So anyway, she sang what well, she she sang the chorus twice, but she was big time. I mean, she was bed her all over again. <laughs> She's going and, somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she was amazing. I thought that was amazing. But you know, that's that's the th- that's the thing about a song like that. It's like everybody knows the words of the chorus of Delta Dawn. That's a, that's if you ask them about any song, that would be one of the main ones that they would pull up. They'll say, uh, "Yeah, I know all the words to the chorus of that song." Right. Yeah. So when you wrote that song, did you go, "Ooh, that's a good one"? You know, I didn't think much about it. Uh, as I told you before about when my mother died, I didn't really think much about it. I just sort of uh, f- fanned it on, more or less. Uh, and I didn't really write it for anybody to record it. I, I wrote it because I just had to write it. There wasn't anything I could do about it. It's just like the new song that we have 
three ravens. I don't have any earthly idea where those words came from. Right. So yeah. that's the other thing is, I mean, you, you're continuing to write and make music. You've got yeah. your new single that... And I'm, like, I'm excited about it. The Three Ravens. Yeah. And is it part of an album forthcoming? Yes, or? of course. Of okay. course. Yeah. Excellent. So um, maybe we should give a listen to it. Yeah, sure. All right. Let's take a quick break, and we'll, we'll come back with that playing, and then um, we'll continue with our talk. I had a sweet adobe dream. It was sunrise on a mesa Where three ravens settled like kings And a pinion in the sky Was a wonder to my eyes As I stood in awe Of this picture God was painting Umber ribs and rose vermilion Felt suddenly so small And I wished that I could fly If I could fly These canyon walls Let's them by what heaven's home No vision could escape my eyes No heights too high To climb If I could fly And that was from Alex Harvey's new uh, single, Three Ravens. Um, so, continuing our discussion, I noticed you picked up a new profession a few years ago. You wrote a book. It couldn't help it. You know, when Coach Royal and Willie came to see me play, and they came backstage, and I looked at Coach and I said, Coach, if you could give me any advice, I don't want. I, I want to be the best naturalized Texan there ever could be. And he said, okay. He said, okay, I'm going to give you some advice. You better get you a pair of Wranglers instead of them hip-hugger bill-bottoms. You better get you a shirt with a collar, a good Western shirt with a collar, not a sparkly spangly one. Get yourself a good pair of boots. No Texan buys boots. Texan's got good boots. He's probably a pretty good Texan. And he said, I'd lose that red girl's cowboy hat. And so when he did that, you know, first thing I thought was, okay, I gotta, I gotta do everything. So the next day I went to his house. The next night he asked me to come for dinner and I went for dinner and I showed up at the door and I was dressed exactly as he told me to be dressed. So anyway, and this is all going to answer that question, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which was, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> oh, Lordy. So, what was the question? Oh, about your, your book. Oh, yeah. How you became a writer. <laughs> ah, yes, that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, my book. So, anyway, after Coach Royal and Willie came and, and adopted me, and in fact, Coach Royal did in, in, in no uncertain terms adopt me. Uh, and he kept me. I mean, every time I was in town, I was with him. I was with Coach Royal. I played every one of his golf tournaments, his and Willie's golf tournaments. I, I'm, I became the greatest Texan I thought that you could possibly be. But in the in the process of doing so, I decided I know I have got to learn everything that I can about 
Texas and Texas people, I have to know because I don't want anybody to ever ask me a question about Texas that I can't answer truthfully with my heart. So I began to study. Um, and I, I guess I'm, I had a, a library finally of at least 100 books on Texas. Um, and I wrote this book called Texas 101, What Every Non-Native Needs to Know. Um, and the book is full of five-minute reads. And each one of the reads is uh, about, uh, for instance, one is the coyote. Now, a lot of people give the coyote a bad name because they look, they think of the coyote. I mean, we even use it in, in cartoons and stuff as the slippery, slimy guy, the guy that doesn't do anything right. But, you know, in truth, the coyote is a very good friend of ours. The coyote takes care of a lot of things. He takes care of a lot of uh, other animals that are not good for us. Um, he does a lot of stuff. So anyway, I, I had one story in there about the coyote and about how many, how, how many different ways we look at the coyote. But in the end, the truth is really the coyote is our friend. So that's what the story of one of the stories. Um, and there's stories about uh, the historical friends of Texas. Um, politicians like Sam Houston. I got five stories about Sam Houston. I love Sam Houston so much. And Sam Houston gets gets a bad rep. Bad, bad rep. I, I was reading another book just lately, and the author uh, called Sam Houston an alcoholic. Well, Sam drank. He also saved Texas. Yeah, absolutely. He went on, he went on San Jacinto with seventeen hundred guys, and Santa Ana came with seven thousand. And camped on the backside, and he camped on the other side of the island with the water to his back so none of his guys could run away. And there was a hill on top of the island, and just if you just get over the hill, the minute you get over the hill, you're in gun range of, right. uh, of Santa Ana's gun. So Sam Houston took uh, a lot of Santa Ana's men. Sam Houston lost eight, eight of 1,700. And uh, that story, many of the stories about Sam Houston and, and, and those kinds of things uh, are in there. So the reason I would, and I, and I tell people, Texans, I say to Texans, look, buy my book, and i tell you what. You need to put it on the back of your commode. And they go, what? Put it on the back of my, mo- my commode? Yeah. I said, put it on the back of your commode so that when people come from out of Texas to visit you and they go to the bathroom, they can read a story in five minutes, and they'll get in, infected with the idea. And all of a sudden, they'll have to read that book every time they sit down. And they'll become knowledgeable about Texans and how uh, we are, because we are, and I say we very graciously, um, I say we are how we are, and, and we're not like any other state. We're not like the people of any other state. For instance... If somebody comes, like I say, to your house who's not from the state, you don't say, you've got to do this and you've got to do this and you've got to do this. Leave the book on the back of the commode. Let them discover it. Help them to discover it. Love them through it. That's what we do. So that's why I wanted to do that book. So I'm sorry that's such a long answer. Uh, no, that, that's absolutely fine. I mean, that's what we're here for is to talk to you. <laughs> so where does someone get this book? Oh. Um, Usually just say, Alex, you have any books? <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So. I'm, I'm going to get a publisher sooner or later, but you know the reason I don't? It's because most of the time uh, people just want to be personal with it. 
they want to be personally involved with me as the writer, uh, and I can tell them about it, and, and, and they love it. They love getting the book. And uh, you can read, like I said, you can read a story in five minutes. That's fun. And I wrote it in big type so you don't have to wear your glasses. Oh, good. <laughs> so um, it's called you Know Your Audience. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so part of this podcast, excuse me, is exploring how people wound up here. So you start off in Tennessee, right? West Tennessee. Now, West Tennessee is different. West Tennessee and East Texans are the same. They're okay. The same people. Um, you can't tell any difference between West Tennesseans and East Texans. But you go take a Middle Tennessean and compare him with a Texan, you're going to have a problem. That's different. That's why they call Tennessee West, East, and Middle. Because they are totally different people. Uh, East, te- East Tennessee people are like uh, Virginians, West Virginians. And uh, Middle Tennessee are more like uh, glorified uh, pretend New Yorkers. <laughs> so, you know, but West Tennessee is because, you know, we are in the, the town I grew up in was 93% black. And I love that. You know what? I, I, I never had uh, anybody that I knew. That was, I grew up, I, I grew up, my dad had a little country store way out in the country. And all around that country store were families that black families that owned 12 acres each. They had been given land when at emancipation, and it had come down to 12 acres to each one of them. They each made a living with two mules, and they raised cotton and corn, and that's and that's how it was, and that's how I grew up. When I grew up, and my dad had a little country store, and my dad furnished all those people, and they lived just right around our store. So he furnished all those people until they could get the money in in the, in the fall. Um, and so, uh, my friends, the person that taught me how to play guitar was Benny Watkins. He was black as ace of space. And uh, the dearest friend I ever had. Great guy. Um, but I did, you know, all those guys, they were just like, they inherited me. I spent more time at the blacksmith shop across the road, uh, owned by Benny Watkins. And, and uh, I mean, owned by Wesley Watkins and uh, uh, uh Mose Deberry. And I'd go down there and sit in the door of that blacksmith shop, and that, that's where I got my, my heart, where my heart comes from. Uh, and when you talk about songwriting, I'm going to tell you that mostly that's where the love that I have for other people's hearts to write songs so that they can feel the way I feel. That's my idea, and I totally got that from black people that I grew up with. So, um, we know you were in L.A. for a while. How did, how did the move go that got you, finally got you to Texas? Um, well, I was in Texas before I went to L.A. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, Coach Royal, that was when I came to Coach Royal. Uh, then I went to Texas to be an actor. I mean, to California to be an actor. Um, and uh, just like I studied music to become a songwriter, I studied acting at the Beverly Hills Playhouse with a guy named Milton Katselis, who had, who had uh, directed Butterflies of Free, among other things. Uh, one of the greatest, if not the absolute greatest teacher that I've ever known. And I was there studying acting for six years. 
And I was back and forth to Texas all that time because I'd been I'd been in Texas before. And then when I got through, I came back. So, so the first time you came to Texas, did you wind up in the Austin area immediately, or did you go? I did. I did. Coach Royal, uh, uh, Coach Royal helped me into Texas, helped me find a place to live, and all this kind of stuff. Um, actually, every time, which was like three different times. Yeah. So, um, I lived it. You know, I played at Bull Creek Inn all the time. Oh, okay. When I was here. And I had a houseboat uh, docked behind Bull Creek on that on that uh, lake, and it broke loose one time. And I owned it. I'd had it about eight years, I guess. And it broke loose and got out into the Lake Travis, and uh, uh, ran into a guy's dock. Oh. And, <laughs> and he came and wanted to sue me, and I said, "Look, just keep the boat." <laughs> So I guess he must still have it. And it, you know what? It was an A-frame boat that was in a movie. I'm trying to remember what movie it was. It was a long time ago. Uh, but anyway, it, it was an A-frame houseboat, which uh, wow. you hardly... Yeah. Wow. You can even hardly imagine. So um, in keeping with that, you know, um, what's your kind of favorite thing about the Austin area? Oh, the heart of it. Um, the people are softer here. Their hearts are more ready to accept. Um, plus the fact that there's an upper edge here, an awareness of, um, for instance, music, the business, and so forth. Um, there's a lot of people trying to do music. Um, very few who are really uh, achieving anything heartfelt. But they're trying, and they want to be they want to be. And the thing about it is, it's, it, there's, there's no place, there's nothing that you could do in Austin that you, I mean, nothing you want to do that you can't find uh, uh, an offering uh, of help somewhere. Um, it's just, uh, Austin is so different than any other town. And I've lived in several different towns. And, um, and for instance, Nashville, I mean, if I compared Austin to Nashville, I'd, I'd have a heart attack. <laughs> People seem to try to all the time. It, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, the thing is, uh, it, it's a matter of heart more in Austin than it is a whole lot more about heart than it is. If you go to Nashville, they're going to write out a poem, and then they're going to try to figure out some kind of melody that'll go with the poem, and then they're going to finish it up with a demo. With the guys that have already played on fourteen thousand demos, and it's going to sound like everybody else's demo, and it ends up sounding like everybody else's song on the radio, and that's how it works. But that's not how it works here. It's totally different than that. Uh, although there are standard people in town who play in the studio system, and uh, but they don't try to play the same thing. You know, the Nashville guys will go home and work on some licks that they can. They can find commercial place for when they come back the next day. And that's all they work on. They work on how they can make people happy with their licks. And that that ain't me. So anyway, Austin creatively is just uh, on a different level. So. Okay. And so since the theme of Austin is keep Austin weird, what's yeah. the weirdest thing you've seen here? <laughs> I can't say it on the radio. <laughs> Well, this is a podcast. You can say it. 
and say anything you want. <laughs> oh, Lordy, what's the weirdest thing I've ever known in uh, Austin? No, I, I, I just I don't really want to talk about that. It's, uh, it, you know, they they say that, and it, and it and it's kind of true. On the one hand, on the other hand, it's just a word that they can use uh, that sets Austin apart from every other town and uh, starts the imagination. Okay, if you want to find weird in Austin, look, you can find it. There's no doubt about it. Um, so my my kind of final question here is, um, if somebody wanted to move, was thinking of moving here, what advice would you give them about moving here? Um, okay. Well, first they've got to decide what they really want when they get here. If they want to be in the business, then get, live downtown. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and look, and there's plenty of fine, wonderful places to live downtown. Um, I drive through the old neighborhoods, and I, I can't believe how good, clean, beautiful they are. Still, and so much vegetation, so many trees, so many. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable how beautiful they still are. So I would say for to them, I'd say do that. Um, if you want to be kind of a loner, uh, there's plenty of places out in the hill country around, around Austin that's still in Austin. Um, that uh, cater to that. Um, if you're in the music business, it's going to be difficult for you when you first get here. It's going to be difficult because there's no clear avenues through the music business like there is in Nashville. I mean, 16th Avenue is in Nashville. We don't really have a 16th Avenue in mm-hmm. Austin. So what you're going to have to do is just really write a great song and go out and sing it and have people say, hey, that's him. <laughs> Excellent. So where can people find your music? Um, Janine, where can people find our music? DeltaDawn.org, also CD Baby and iTunes under Alex Harvey. And don't get them confused with the sensational Alex Harvey band who's deceased because they do look a little alike. All righty. He's done dead. Okay, well, then you got him beat on that count. <laughs> okay, I, I, I need to add a patronizing thing here. Alex sure. will be doing a residency at New World Delhi the fourth Friday of every month starting in January. Excellent. So wow. Okay. That's one place. And, and you know why? Because I absolutely adore it. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful place. We, and, I mean, we can't well, say enough good things about it. They want you to listen. They want you to hear good songwriters. They want you to hear the heart of a good songwriter. That's the point. Um, the reason it's different than any other place. They care. They truly care whether you your heart is turned on or not. And that's that's a big deal. That's a real big deal to me. That's why I'm going to be here once a month because, I mean, it's not the great biggest place in the world. It's not the place I can make the most money, not all that stuff. But the thing is... When I come here, it's just like being on this radio show with you guys. I just I feel comfortable. I'm, I just feel ready to love and give. Excellent. And what about your book? Where can they get your book? Uh, same place. Okay. Uh, that would be, uh, and if you go deltadawn.org, uh, you can find almost anything you want to find. Excellent. All right. And Joel, anything you want to plug? Oh, uh, Wednesday nights. Um, here 
couple Wednesdays every month. Uh, go to NewWorldDeli.com. The, there's music seven nights a week, twice on Saturdays, uh, and it's always good. good. It's always original, and it's always songwriters. Well, I, you know, again, I want to thank you for pulling this together because this was this was a real honor, and it, it was really interesting. And yeah, maybe we'll pop in here one of these Fridays again and do do a little more, see what other tales he can tell. <laughs> I have to tell you, it was just as much an honor for me. I thank. You I appreciate so much. that. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next time on the Trail to Austin. <laughs>